Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This is Ideas Worth Hearing, brought to you by TEDx Youth at Victoria Park. My name is Joshua George, and my guest today is Juliana Swishchuk. <laughs> Alongside pursuing a bachelor in science, cellular, and microbial biology, Juliana strives to, be, to prove that arts and sciences can and should exist along one another. She believes that expanding the artistic mind serves as a unique advantage for scientific thinking and that students striving to succeed in those scientific fields ought to be exposed to the importance of both fields and their interconnection. Juliana seeks inspiration through the means of painting, writing, dancing, and photography with certainty that these avocations serve as more than simple hobbies, but rather as the fundamentals to progressing her academic career. Juliana, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Joshua, how are you? You're doing good, it's great to have you on. I'm really excited to hear what you've got to talk about today. There's a lot of debate in our current uh, socio-political climate about the importance of post-secondary education, whether or not it's still a solid investment. And a lot of that debate is structured around whether or not the current methodology of teaching encapsulates all the things it should, which is uh, things of art, things of science, whether or not those two things can coexist, should coexist, and whether or not that improves the experience. Mm -hmm. There's some criticism of the humanities fields for being over the left wing, and some criticism of the more professional fields of depriving a student of all of the assets they need to function as real adults. Have you got a lot of thoughts on these? I hope you do. I brought you on <laughs> for that reason specifically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of why I started talking about these these two fields together is because when I was younger, I was turned down by a lot of scientific experts and uh, science community members because I was seemingly you know, too artistic, as they would put it, or I wasn't enough. I wasn't structured to think critically enough or not logical enough, which, I mean, I didn't think so, but apparently that's what was portrayed of me because I was very passionate about the arts and because I, <laughs> I, I painted and I did all of these things rather than just hitting the books late at night. And so I noticed from an early point, from even in high school, that this was a bit of an issue and, and I wasn't very happy with it because I knew that I wasn't the only one that that felt this way. So I, I definitely see that we need to, to change something. So right from the get-go, you're feeling disparaged as a young woman who's interested in an endeavor into the scientific communities because you don't appear to come off as somebody who is bland, somebody who's spockish and <laughs> straightforward and analytical. And, you know, as I'm talking to you, I'm wondering, do you think that that has a gendered implication? A gendered implication? Yes, I mean, certainly a long time of human history, we've been teaching men to behave a certain way and women to behave a certain way. And when we design uh, the professional and academic uh, expectations and structures to be very analytical, very straightforward, are we, is that contributing to the old boys club that exists in, in those uh, communities? Well, I'd like to think not because I, I don't particularly like to, to put myself in that place and say that that's the reason for it because of course not. In the past, you know, this these two fields as I'm sure we'll get into, 
they were brought together initially, you know, by by men. And so the this the convergence of these two fields isn't all that new in any sense. It's more so rather an old idea. And and like I said, you know, and we've we've talked about this in past conversation, but Leonardo da Vinci himself was the innovator of of converging science and, and arts, and he was a man and he was very well respected in his in both sides of his community. So I I've never thought about it in that sense, but I that's an interesting that you bring it forward. I might have to I might have to think about it. Well, it's just and for anybody who's listening to this and has already listened to the other podcasts, we've talked about some things like explicit bias and other things, and we know how various forms of biases can combine, right? Mm-hmm. So to be coming into one of these fields, a professional field, a scientific field, and to already have that weight of overcoming what has traditionally been a man's um, world right as, as as breaking into it and, you know in 2020 certainly these things are mild they're toned down mm-hmm. not quite a bit by what they used to be but to combine that now with your young woman who is insisting now that there is artistry that there is a a beauty inside of these fields mm-hmm. do you think that that you might stand a risk um coming in as both now the woman but also the artist is are those two things going to combine has that been an issue for you i'm tell me all about it i mean even if it was if if i am going to stereotype women for being artists and wanting to pursue science so be it i mean that's a fantastic that's a fantastic characteristic to carry i think um (laughs) (laughs) you're so right isn't it yeah because i I think it's a privilege to be able to call myself an artist or I, I feel very much of a compliment when I'm told that I exceed artistically and I, I would assume that others would, if they have that passion in them, I would assume that they would find it a compliment as well. So if I'm in any way influencing uh, society in that sense, then so be it because that's I, I see that as a good thing, I think. That is so fantastic. So when you look into this um, hodgepodge of, uh, of bleh, uh, which exists, I'm sure, in a lot of the more professional academic fields, and you're looking and you're thinking, wow, you all should put up some paintings. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is it? Do you have any ideas where are things that you might look at specifically that tell you that there must be more um, yeah. intermingling? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't. I don't know if it's as explicit as you must put up paintings, although that, that, that's a great uh, <laughs> that's a great example. But just the act of, you know, in my in my degree, I have a pretty rigorous schedule from semester to semester, and not once have I been forced, or I guess forced isn't the right word, but not not once have I had to take an artistic class. It's never been a requirement. It's been an option but never a requirement. And I thought that was a little bit strange because, again, because I have this this desire to, to be proficient in both fields. And I think it, it comes pretty early in, a, in a, an educational career because I, was, I, was, I had a very rigorous educational upbringing and uh, I stopped pursuing artistic things in an, in an academic context rather early on because we stopped drawing and, and doing creative projects back in seventh or eighth grade. And so even to this point, being 22, I haven't 
touched anything artistic for the sake of school in a really long time. And so I see the way the people that have come with me in this journey of rigorous academia, I see what it does to other people who might not specifically see the value that others might see in, in the arts. And I see it in them because they, they become quite robotic. And it's quite sad um, because it's such a, I'm sure we'll get into this uh, eventually, but it's, it's such a beautiful thing to be a part of when, you, when you're able to see, like you mentioned, that, that beauty. And we as a, as a human species, we're one of the only ones that are, can genuinely create what we call art. We can, we can talk to one another and connect and create this kinship through the creation of art. And the fact that that potential is lost in some people as they're brought up in this very rigorous system, and that it's visible through the fact that they, they end up treating their schoolwork as above all, and they stop seeing everything else. They're blinded to everything else because it's, it's, it's drilled into you that this is less important, or this is not important at all. And I think that's quite sad, and that's the way that I've seen it from, from my perspective. And so that's where my, my desire to talk about these things came from. So would you say that this dichotomy of sorts between art and science has a negative effect or has had a negative effect on yourself or your peers? Yeah, yeah, I definitely would say so, yeah. Interesting. So in the interest of overcoming that negative effect, um, what do you think a stark scientific world without this art would look like? I don't think it could exist in the first place. Um, really? That's yeah. fascinating. Okay, so tell me more about that. Well, you kind of, there's this old saying that says you have to remember what you're fighting for. You have to remember what you're doing everything for. And I'm in a life science degree, for example. And so a lot of the things that I'm involved in scientifically is based around health and bettering health and progressing human health. And if you want to speak very uh, utilitarian wise or very on a, on a large scale, you know, the, the point is to better humanity and better human health so people can live longer. And that's that's all well and good. That's a I mean, there's a film, Dead Poet Society, where there's a great quote in there that says, that's a very noble and, and respectable thing to do, but you have to remember what you're living for and poetry mm -hmm. and art and, and creating art and, and talking to one another about art. Those are, at least for me, I'm very lucky, I feel, that I'm able to see and feel the things that, are, that make up what art is. And... I want other people to be able to experience it, to be able to talk to one another about it, because in my opinion, it's truly the kinds of things that we live for. And so I don't know if in that, that's a more, I guess, poetic answer, but I don't know if there would be a purpose to progressing human health and or even progressing any form of science for the bettering of humanity if you don't really have anything that you wanna be striving for if you don't want to be mm. able to live longer, why do you want to live longer? What do you want to do in your life uh, that's wanting you to live longer? Do you want to see things? Do you want to do things? Infinitely, the goal is just to, to enrich our experience as, as human beings. And I think art serves as, as almost a fundamental definition of what it means to enrich yourself as a person. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it could exist in that sense. And there are also multiple 
examples in, in history where being artistically inclined and being an artist of sorts has helped contribute to the progress of science. And I think those examples are, are fascinating. I mean, I can tell you one if you want to, but... Absolutely. Uh, for example, there was a, a famous physiologist. I don't remember what his name is, but he was very interested in, in finding out how the human body moved when we walked or when we ran. So how did the bones and the muscles and the legs and the, the upper body move? And obviously he couldn't just watch people walk back and forth because that wouldn't do him any good. And he was very passionate about photography. He loved photography. And he had this idea that he could create an exposure on his camera that would allow him to take multiple photos on the same frame and overlay them, superimpose them. And this was an idea that the, the futurists had in, in modern art as well. This is a common path that some people took to portray, you know, dynamism is what they called it. And so he created this camera that was able to, to capture these multiple frames on one picture. And he would ask one of his friends or his assistants or whatnot to walk across the, the room and he would take these photos and that would create a superimposed image of, of multiple people walking. And he was able to publish papers based on how he saw the, the motion of, of the human body. And I think that's really interesting. Interesting, absolutely. The way that the scientific endeavor, I guess, developed from the art or for the way that the art developed from the science. And it reminds me about, you hear all these stories about things like, uh, oof, uh, like Star Trek, The Next Generation, <laughs> and how that inspired a whole new generation of believers in science and people who are going to innovate and push the boundaries. And I think we could probably bring up an article if we really wanted to about the, the things that developed from that. But going back, because you mentioned the Dead Poet Society. First of all, <laughs> what a beautiful movie yeah. that is. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember the quote when he's standing on the desk yeah. and he's yelling and he's, he's trying to get these young men who are being coerced into <laughs> the rigorous uh, construct of academic you know, uh, focus and, mm -hmm. and pure and dry consumption of, of science and information. Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm just going to give the full quote. This is Robin mm -hmm. Williams from Dead Poets Society. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human right, race. And the human race is filled with passion and medicine, law, business, engineering, those are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. Even in that, though, there is a construction of these two fields as a dichotomy. Mm -hmm. You know, we work so that we can write and play in love, but these two things, like you're saying, really ought to be more married. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, going back to how you mentioned with um, Da Vinci, you can see a really prime example of what happens, just as you're talking about when these things are married. What a miraculous man of um, art and of science. And if that's your argument, I think you count us all in. <laughs> <I hope> <laughs> Get more Da Vinci's going. Start printing them out. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's also important to point out that the and I think most people would know that it didn't, it wasn't just science that came one way and art that came another way. They both evolved together. 
And if we're still talking about da Vinci, he has a whole collection of drawings that he made about the human body. And we wouldn't know any of that information were it not for his ability to, to be able to draw in the first place. And so it all, mm. it's all very intertwined and it all came about as very intertwined. And I think somewhere along the line, there was just someone that said, no, this one's more important. Well, I think this one's more important and kind of threw a, threw a wrench in the works. Well, and it, it reminds me what happens um, when you look at the development of, of unadulterated science and, and pure gluttonous uh, ambition for discovery and creation mm-hmm. without it being metered or, um, you know, reined in by a humanities, by an art form, mm-hmm. what can happen. Mm-hmm. And I think this reminds me of the nuclear bomb. Okay. I see. Okay, so we're going big, really quick, right? <laughs> yeah. Come with me for a moment. The nuclear bomb. Uh, I think the father of nuclear energy, they call him Robert Oppenheimer, and he's quoted as having a humanistic um, revelation afterwards in the in the wake of the destruction that he uh, that he uh, inadvertently fathered. He says, you know, of course, I am become death, destroyer mm-hmm. of worlds, and he's looking at at what happens with this unmitigated power of nuclear energy and how it can be thrown out into the world and used for so much mm-hmm. blah mm-hmm. and then the humanities of that whole situation comes in now we have the nuclear non-proliferation excuse me nuclear non-proliferation acts and various uh, pieces of legislature to help rein in that awesome power uh, that awesome destructive power and creates um, created perhaps of a coexistence of that unadulterated scientific endeavor with mm-hmm. uh, a human a human world and it, it really talks about the dangers and you think about that you really think about the dangers of what happens if you don't have art if you don't have humanism yeah yeah it's scary sure. it's scary yeah. to think that some of the like yourself the youngest brightest minds are coming up and y'all don't even have to take an art class mm-hmm. excuse me mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I have a funny story that I tell sometimes that in my uh, chemistry class in high school, I went to a very, very academically prolific high school. And we were Mm -hmm. very much encouraged and we were very unattractively put against one another, very blindly. It was was not, (laughs) not an ideal environment in that regard. And so it got to a lot of people's heads, I think. And people would just study and study and study to the point where I remember in one of our labs, you know, there was eight people in our class, in our chemistry class, and we all have these Bunsen burners, and there wasn't those artificial lighters that you had to use. We didn't have one. We just had matches, and nobody knew how to how to light a match. Everyone was scared to light a match. So I was walking around the room lighting these Bunsen burners because such a basic skill was somehow <laughs> lost because everyone's no one's doing anything except studying except working because that's the only thing that you're told is valuable your all your value is placed into how much you can cram into your head and so that was that's uh, kind of it's funny but it's sad in a way so that is and Ju- Juliana we'll set aside just for a moment the question as to why you were the only one who knew how to use a match like what are you up to <laughs> we'll put that a moment aside for a moment yeah how sad is that? And these are our best minds. These are the, the 
the young that will chariot us into the future, you know? Mm-hmm. What are they missing? Do we want those to be the leaders and champions of our world? Well, you seem nice enough, but... <laughs> well, no, I, I, I think... <laughs> I think the way that I feel we should approach this is that Mm -hmm. you need all kinds of minds in order to achieve progress. And I I say this, I think some people don't understand when I compare this to colors, but I I paint a lot, so colors are oftentimes on my mind. But if you imagine the the solution to a problem or something being a, a specific type of color, and you know, let the the brightest, boldest, richest of reds be the scientists and the the deep thinkers, the ones that know all the information. When you can get as many of those together as you want to, you're never going to achieve your solution because maybe you need a bit of blue, maybe you need a bit of yellow, a bit of white, maybe even a bit of black. And those are the, like we say, the poets and the painters and the dreamers and the the ones who love to read Fitzgerald or whatever, the pretentious ones even. But (laughs) <laughs> Only that way you're going to be able to achieve achieve a solution somehow. And so I definitely think those people that are able to work like a computer and process information like a computer, they're fantastic because if you can find enjoyment in your life enough in that regard to sit and, and just hit the books 24 hours a day, if that's what gives you energy in your life to keep going, let it be. That's That's fantastic. Uh, and I think you need those kinds of people because I can't do that, for example. And, and when it comes to spitting out information, I'm not the best person to go to. It'll be someone else, who a, a person of this sort. Um, but where I think it's, it's a little bit in the gray zone is where you have people who clearly have so much talent and so much potential. And like I mentioned earlier, this ability to see this beauty that exists in the world that is art and and it's just being destroyed because they're told that it's not valuable they're told to kill it because because people like the person that's able to process things like a computer exist that becomes the standard and you have to try and achieve it because that's the one that's going to be making you the a's getting you the 4.0 passing the tests you know and and that's the way that things are brought up and so this beautiful artistry that someone might have in them is just drilled out of them by the time that they're older and they you know it's not good for for their health emotionally, mentally, physically. And and that's where I think the biggest problem is. I don't think everyone needs to be artistic in, in no regard because no one's not everyone is going to be. It's not everyone's thing. Uh but I'm just I, I want to speak for the ones that 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 feel what I feel because I know what it feels like and I I wish it not to be the case the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Oh and certainly as you're so diligently putting uh your point it's a counter coercion point. It's not to force art upon people, mm-hmm. but rather to to separate those of us who, who want to be artistic and allow us to be that, uh, you know, without being shackled at the legs to the to the field of scientific endeavor or you know capitalistic uh, production or whatever thing that you're being measured by. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a big thing. There's a. It's not about coercion. Not about forcing people to do what isn't right, but rather to recognize their right as a variety of uh, values. There are multiple things which can be right, and, and to recognize that. Mm-hmm. It cannot be the case that all of us are scientists and capitalists and manufacturers, right? Yes. Of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. And even so, if we could produce such a utopia, in quotations, 
would that even be the good thing? Mm. Would that create the good? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't pick a single individual member of the cast of the Beatles <laughs> who would be in the world if that were the case. And yeah. what would we do without such monumental pieces like Yellow Submarine? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Very passionately agree. So perhaps then, and this is something is an idea that's not, uh, of course, you know, I don't think either one of us could hold claim to this, but there's a false dichotomy that's been constructed between the world of science and the world of art. Mm -hmm. And I think, as you do, that that's unjust. Mm -hmm. Where do you think that that comes from? I think... It comes probably... I've given this some thought, and I haven't come to an answer, to be honest, but I can only speculate. Oh, come on. Where's your little <laughs> scientist in that uh, in that years? Well, we live in a very unique world right now where everything is extremely fast-paced. We have access to every form of information that exists in... Well, I won't say every, but a lot of information that exists in the world. And... Through that comes a level of expectancy. Um, in, in my case, for example, the fact that I have access to... I mean, a paper could be published 10 minutes ago, and it's already on, on the internet, and I have access to it. I have access to that knowledge. And through that, it's almost... There's, there's a, a hidden label of that I'm expected to know it, or I'm somehow... I, I carry the responsibility of being involved in it. And I carry the responsibility being alive right now of, of abiding by this very fast-paced world and obeying the, the rules that it comes with. And so through that, you, you end up with th this surplus of responsibilities and of things that you have to listen to and, and, and accomplish along while keeping up with these, these things that are supposedly make up who you are. And, and of course, it's natural to, to fall into the trap of, you know, this wasn't good enough, try again, you have access to everything, you have no excuse to be slacking here. And mm -hmm. it's very easy to fall into that trap. And it, it, you can see it not only in the arts, but you can see it in things like physical activity, the, the amount of people that have stopped focusing on, on their, their physical health, not only their emotional and, and artistic health, I guess. But we have, mm -hmm. we have less time to do everything, in a way. Even though the, we have the same amount of time that we've always had, we have less time because of the, the world that we live in and the way that the world is structured. And values end up shifting because requirements and the demands of the society end up shifting. So I can only mm -hmm. speculate. That's how I felt in my in my experiences, and it's it's difficult because, in a way, I understand that this this progress has to keep going. But at what cost, you know? What happens if uh, if it goes the wrong way? Yeah. And it makes me wonder, uh, with how you're you're describing it all in the, the scientific community, and. and progress in its heart science of course is about uh, the replication of results creating effect cause and effect and redoing it over and over again until you can prove that cause equals effect mm -hmm. at the most fundamental mm 
Mm-hmm. And of course, with art, you have a situation where the opposite is true. Mm-hmm. You're trying to look for that one time occurrence to create an effect. Yeah. So by logic of that, you think, well, these two are simply unmarriageable, right? Mm-hmm. But then that ignores the realism, the fact that science and art are both creations of man and both of course exist within man Mm -hmm. and by man of course the individual the individual though is it a scientific thing or an artistic thing the artistic we are artistic for we are individuals we occur once ever Mm -hmm. there will never be another you nor me Mm -hmm. yet we're a reproduction in a never-ending hopefully never-ending cycle of humans so there's the scientific component it seems as if the marriage of the two is us mm-hmm. every day always mm-hmm. and to progress down this delusional path like you're saying where individuals are purely scientific or individuals are purely artistic seems to be to create a world where nothing is right heads is down and up is left <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what a disastrous set of consequences that could have yeah i agree absolutely what happens, do you think, when the two are conjoined, when science and art, if we could ever get to the point where not just in ourselves, but in our communities and in our world where science, some weird project of scientific, science and art has been married and somehow that's a real thing. What do you, what do you think that would be like? Well, I don't know if I can speak in the greater sense, but I think a lot of people would be really happy. <laughs> To put think it, we think we'd be more happy generally. yes yeah I do yeah because again I keep talking about this thing of um, being able to be lucky enough to be able to feel the the beauty that that art carries and I can't speak for someone who spends their entire life in in a lab or or at the textbooks maybe if if to them that's their beauty that's that's wonderful but I I felt the the magic and the the mysticism that comes with being able to see and understand art and I think the ability to take that and harness it and and work with it and connect with other people with it at the core and progress and develop ideas and and enhance creativity is is a wonderful thing and I mean what more do we really want to live for aside from than just being happy and and attaching ourselves to everything that the world has to give us and everything that being a human being has to give us I don't know if if I could really want to ask for more than that. Hmm. Well, with that, I think we've run out of time. Thank you so much for your valuable insight and a wonderful conversation. Juliana Swishchuk, it has been a delight to have you on. This is Ideas Worth Hearing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joshua.